One, two, test one, two, hello. Everybody, good to see you. How's everybody doing? Well, we can go ahead and pray and close. Molly and Lynette already like my sermon, so uh, there we go. We can, we can be done. And uh, nobody believes that. Um, are you glad to be here? For you five, thanks for being here. Uh, before we pray, um, I said this earlier as I opened up, but uh, just to, as a follow-up to, um, to the election on Tuesday, um, there's a lot of emotions that, that go into an election. It's interesting when we enter that time and that season, the different feelings, the different emotions that come out. Um, I'm just so glad that there's no, no more commercials. That is like a victory in itself right there. Um, but it's interesting because it's, it's, it's what is the response, you know, of the world? What's the response of the church? And you've heard me talk a little bit about it um, last week. And I want you guys to know that, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, a, I am a closet uh, political junkie. Um, I, I, I'm very passionate about politics and all that stuff, and I have to guard my own heart. When I, when I preach to you and I talk to you about our response and what the response should be, um, that's not preaching at you. I, I include myself in that, um, of, of the direction of the country, the, the vote, all of that stuff. I have to just guard my heart because I said this last week, and I've had to meditate on it, and I've had to remind myself of it, that we are of a different kingdom. We are in a kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus tried and tried to teach his disciples, and he is conveying that message to us that we live in a kingdom that is not of this world. And we're told that we are foreigners, that we're strangers, that we are aliens in this world, that we're just passing through. When Jesus came, he came... Um, not just to save us from, from, from our sins, which is powerful enough, but he came to establish his kingdom. You know, there's the kingdom of heaven, and, and that's where he, he is now, and he has gone to prepare a place for us, and that we have the hope that when we leave this life, we will go and be with him, because that was his promise. He said, where I go, uh, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you might be also. But he also came to establish his kingdom on the earth, and that's why it was such a foreign concept, and I talked a little bit about that last week when he would say, you know, uh, and, and Patty and Doug touched on it today, but, you know, it's, it's if you want to be great, be least, and, you know, you guys know those passages where he's trying to convey that you're in a different kingdom mindset. We're in a kingdom not of this world. Then it even says that he is placing the kingdom within us. The kingdom of God is within you. And so that as we, uh, as the people of God, what is our response? And again, that is not that we just live in a cave somewhere separated from society. We live in the world. Jesus said, you're in the world, but not of the world. We live in the world. We go about our day. We work. We go to school. We do the different things in this life. We don't separate ourselves from the world, but we are to be light in the world. And so our response as believers is a passage that I dealt with last week, but Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, Paul says, set your heart and your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on kingdom things, not of earthly things. Because the long and the short of it is, as I read earlier from Revelation 11, Jesus is on the throne. He's in control. He's in charge. He will rule and reign forever. And his kingdom is an everlasting, unending kingdom. That is the kingdom that we belong to. And so we have to set our, our hearts and our minds on things above and, and, and be counterculture in this mindset of, of whether or not the election went the way you wanted it to go, that we fix our eyes on him. And the kingdom truth is this, that we're still on mission with Jesus. That we have the light of the world in us as believers and followers of Christ and to shine that light as he did when he was on the earth. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he was in a time where one of the most corrupt governmental controls was on the planet, the Roman government. 
And what do we have Jesus doing? He was not politically motivated. In fact, you know, when they would try to, they would try to trap him at times and remember when they said, you know, should we pay taxes? You know, should you and your followers pay taxes? And Jesus says, Who, whose image is on the coin? They said, Caesar. And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, but render unto God what is God's. And, it, and at that point, they were just flabbergasted trying to trap him. He said, you know, I, I'm, I don't, I, I'm not going to operate in your kingdom mindset. Yes, render unto Caesar, whatever. But I'm of a different kingdom here. And we are the light of the world. We have been called to reveal Christ to a lost world. And the world needs Jesus. That's all I'll say about the election. Um, I want to touch in on today. And I, I began this year, um, going into a new year, I, I kind of, just not kind of, I do. I, I asked the Lord, what is he speaking and what is he saying? And, uh, you know, you, you want to hear from the Lord and... And it's interesting because the things that he begins to reveal, you find out that he's saying this across the body of Christ, and it's very, it's very encouraging, confirming. But I begin the year talking about this idea of transformation. God's desire to trans, for us to be transformed, to become more and more like Jesus. And, I, I, and that word was kind of the word transformation. And, and, and I set my, even my heart, my own heart, and I don't know if you do this, but at the beginning of the year, I, you know, I just say, Lord, at the end of this year, I, I, I want to I be more like you. I, I want to become more like Jesus. I want some of those old things to pass away, and I want to become new in some areas. I want to be transformed. And as long as we're in this life, we're in a process of transformation, becoming more. We're not going to reach a pinnacle where we are completely sinless and forget that. We're, we're, we're striving to become more and more like Christ. But at the beginning of the year, you know, I, said, I want to get to the end of this year and to say, well, here's some areas that I've gotten some victories in and, and I see some transformation in my heart. And maybe you do that, I don't know. But um, I desire for, for, for my life to reflect Jesus more and more, maybe some areas that I've struggled with to get some freedom in there, those areas, um, or completely free. But, you know, transformation means to change in form, appearance, nature, or character. It's the definition of transformation. The idea is metamorphosis. I talked about this at the beginning of the year, you know, the profound change in form of one stage to the next in the history of an organism. And the, the natural picture of that is a caterpillar becoming the butterfly and, and going into that time of cocoon and transformation. And there's a time and there's a process that the old is passing away and it's becoming a new creation to become what it was intended to be. And if we see that picture, that's the, that's the change that Jesus wants. He wants us to have a profound change in form, in character, to become like him. And I love Paul, and I've quoted this, but 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, He that is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, or they're passing away, and, and behold, all things become new. I love the word become because it, 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 it represents the idea of process, transformation, metamorphosis, that we're becoming new. We were this way, and now we are becoming this way. A new crea creation Christ with new habits, new actions, and ultimately a new way of thinking. And you know, part of that process is painful. You know, when the, when the, when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it, it can't be what it once was, and it is not quite what it is supposed to be yet. And there's that place of waiting in that place of pain of wanting to get out and break free and do what we're called to do but God has a purpose in what he is doing in and through us allow him to do his work but one of the major battles of transformation when you think of the idea of transformation of becoming a new creation scripturally this is very and I'm going to show you today it's it's, it's interesting because we're going to through this message we're going to look at the idea of transformation beginning in the mind one of the major battles that we have in the idea of transformation, of becoming a new creation, is in our minds. As human beings, the mind and the thoughts are very powerful. How many of you know perception is a huge deal? When you perceive something to be true, that's why we have to guard ourselves from deception. Because deception is you believe something is truth when it is not truth. 
and you've convinced yourself and you live your life in that that fact of that matter um, that you're looking at is true and it is not true. But perception is a huge deal. If someone perceives something, it's hard to get them to think differently. Because in our lives, we have conditioned responses to things that happen, whether big issues or insignificant ones. That's why today, we're going to be talking about transforming the mind so that we can become more and more like Jesus made us to be. Identifying wrong thoughts, rejecting them, and replacing them with truth. And I pray that this is encouraging and equipping to you today. But our lives are filled with those conditional responses that are based on how we think. Maybe how we were raised. Maybe things of the past. It develops and trains us to have a conditioned response. Something can happen in your life and, and then, and then our, our response can be fear. Some people have been, they naturally go right to fear or anxiety or hopelessness. Some people are very intimidated by certain situations. Anger can be those conditioned response. Escape. I'll run the other way. I'll find something. I'll go to a different life. I'll run from this and try to go to something different. Some people shut down. They just stop responding at all. Almost no emotion. They just shut down because that's a conditioned response. Some people begin to manipulate. Maybe bitterness is a conditioned response or pessimism. Sometimes it's optimism. Something bad can happen and you have a conditioned response that things are going to be okay. Or people like that in your life and they drive you crazy. But isn't it true that we've been trained throughout our lives to have those conditioned responses? And some of those conditioned responses, we, we don't mind about ourselves, but a lot of them, we, don't they make you angry about yourself? That you just tend to go there when something happens, you have a conditioned response and it kind of annoys you even about yourself. Maybe I'm the only one. But this is why our mind and our thoughts are so significant to who we are personally, but more important, spiritually, and who we are becoming. Because Jesus, again, he wants us to be transformed. That is his heart for humanity, is to, to transform us. Once we were lost, now we are found. And that idea of perception is, is, again, very powerful. We can control, manipulate people if we can affect their minds or how they think. The power of persuasion. Just watch TV, right? That's the condition of, 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 our, of our culture, too, is when they're trying to sell you something or, or people that are in sales, and not, not, not that everybody that is, is in sales is bad, that's not what I'm saying, it's, but it's a persuasion. You need to persuade people that they have to have this item that you're trying to sell to them. Persuasion is all over TV. We just went through the election cycle, right? All those commercials, all the, the, the talking points, all these things is to persuade you to think a certain way. There is power in persuasion that you have to have this. This item that I have, you see these commercials, and aren't you glad for mute buttons? Was that, that was, a, that was a, a little grace from God to uh, give us a mute button on our remote controls. Because isn't it funny, and, and I don't know if they do this so much anymore, but you, know, you, you can track along with me. You're watching your show and it's at a certain volume level and then the commercial comes on. It sounds like somebody turned the TV up like 10 times louder. There's a reason for that. They record it louder because they're trying to persuade you that you have to have this. On a more serious level, you think of people that have persuaded whole people groups to think a certain way. You think of Hitler and what happened in the Holocaust. Because if you're like me, you know, I, I, I was kind of a, somewhat of a history buff in high school, and we studied that whole area, and I was very infatuated, read books, and, and you know, watched movies and stuff. And, 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 you know, don't you ask that question of how did, he, how did he do that? How did he get so many people to follow his insanity? It's persuasion. You say something enough times 
And if you get people to believe the lie enough times, it becomes hardwired in them to the condition that that is true. And then delusion and deception are right there. But here's the thing, as we look at that and we can just say, well, you know, those, those people that followed that, we are creatures just like them. And if we don't guard our hearts, we can believe anything. We can be persuaded to believe anything. The enemy of our souls knows, knows this all too well of persuasion. He understands the battles that our minds go through on a daily basis. He also understands the importance that you have in being transformed because that, that's why he will battle your mind and that's why that major battleground of the mind, the enemy wants you to never get victory there because he understands the power that he can hold over you to believe lies long enough to where it becomes truth to you and me. So the word has a lot to say about this and, and my, my prayer is that we today identify some wrong thoughts. I'm going to be very honest. And I pray that you will be honest in your thinking today, but to identify them, reject them, and then replace them with truth. Amen? But the power of transformation tied to our minds and our thoughts. And because we are conditioned and programmed a certain way in our thoughts, we need to be reprogrammed and rebooted in our minds. Computer guys will understand what I'm talking about that, but reprogramming. And let me tell you this emphatically as we move along. This can only happen through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And so I want to talk about how we do this, how to reprogram, reboot those conditioned responses. And I believe that He is here. So where two or three are gathered together, He is here. The, his Spirit is here, and He loves you, and He wants freedom for us in the way we think. And he wants our minds to be aligned with him and his thoughts. Because if we believe the lies, we're limited to what God can do in us. And the enemy understands that. Romans 7, you know, and I've, I've talked about this passage before, but pa Paul talks about the battle. I do the things I don't want to do, the things I need to do. I don't, I, I can't find, seem to find time to do them. And, and he said, oh, wretched man that I am. And we see this war, and a lot of this war was in the mind. But there's a battle that is decided in the mind. Do we obey what Jesus says, what the Spirit of God says, or do we, do we believe the flesh and the enemy? And most of the time we lose the battle in our mind. I've, I've lost those times. I don't know about you, but I, there, there's times where you get into a day-to-day -day thing and, and, and you, you feel like you should be a little more victorious and you find yourself tracking back to old ways of thinking. Well, the Lord wants to set us free. Maybe you thought I'm not good enough, not smart enough. I have too many limitations. I've trusted in my abilities rather than who God, what God says about me. And that's why I love Paul because later on he says, I boast in my weaknesses. Because in my weakness, he is made strong because it's not about us getting more willpower, trying to, you know, muster up a little more strength in ourselves. Just a little more human strength. There's not enough human strength to do it. We desperately need him. Because the, you know, and I, I know this is very true and, and very obvious, but if you think negative thoughts, you become negative. If you think God thoughts, you become more like Christ. And I know that that's, everybody goes, well, hello, yeah, duh. But getting that to be translated into our hearts is a battle. Let's fight the battle together today. So three ideas I want to talk about today, again, is, is to identify those wrong thoughts, reject them, and then replace them with truth. Why is this important? Let's look at a couple of passages here from Proverbs. If you didn't think that it is a significant battle that goes on in our minds, look at these passages. Proverbs 4.23, carefully guard your thoughts because they are the source of true life. He doesn't say, you know, carefully guard your thoughts because it's just good for you to have positive thoughts every day. No, he, he, is, he is locking in that, 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 that true life comes from carefully guarding your thoughts. And then the author says in Proverbs 23.7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
And that's what I'm talking If you think negative thoughts, you are a negative person. If you think God thought you'll become more like Christ, whatever you're thinking, whatever you dwell on, whatever your conditioned response, that is what we become. That becomes our nature. It's the power of our thoughts and our perception. And so I wanted to show you the importance of that. Let's go to the next slide because I want to look at the, um, as, as we talk about rejecting them, we're going to be talking about how to fight the right way. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, you can see it up there as you're maybe wanting to write down things. But first, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We need to be reminded of that. You know, self-help, positive thinking, it's, that's a million-dollar industry. There's people who have books and how to think more positively. Folks, without Jesus, it is, is going to be, you, you, might, you might be able to muster enough strength to get you a certain way down the road, but without Christ, it's going to have a finish line at some point. We need Jesus. We need Jesus Christ. He is the one that we so desperately need. And that's the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So if it's a spiritual battle, don't try to fight in the flesh. And so on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we're in a spiritual battle. That word, the power is dunamis, dynamite. We have explosive power to demolish strongholds. Explosive power. Dunamis is where we get dynamite. Isn't that cool? Kaboom to your stronghold. And the word, not that I'm trying to impress you with any Greek, but if you're impressed, thanks. But uh, I just, anybody can look this up. But the word stronghold in the Greek, akamora, a prisoner locked by deception. Isn't that interesting? Because deception is where? In the mind. So this idea of transformation tied together with the mind is, is such a powerful idea stronghold so we have we have weapons that are not of this world on the contrary our spiritual weapons when we are operating in the spirit of god those who have they have divine power dunamis power explosive power to destroy or demolish prisoners locked by deception and escape them because if our if our thoughts are in a wrong place we become prisoners of our own thinking those conditioned responses and so the explosive power has the ability to unlock the prisoner who is locked up by lies, by deception. And so as believers, even too many times we're held captive by our thoughts and our conditioned fleshly responses. Verse 5, we demolish arguments. Not play around with them. Not push them off to the side. We demolish arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So how do we do this? He goes on. He says, we take captive every thought. How many thoughts? Do you guys see, I mean, the profound connection between transformation and the mind? And he talks about strongholds tied to our thoughts. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Know that is a wrong thought. You will be made obedient to Christ. We take every thought that is not of God. And what is that defined as? Those thoughts that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Who God is. The nature of God. What his word says. And we make it prisoner. We make it our prisoner. He talks about it being captive. We make it our prisoner instead of it making us its prisoner. Because in the battlefield of the mind, those thoughts, those deceptions, somebody's going to be a prisoner. There's no neutral ground. Either you're going to be held captive by it or you're going to hold it captive. And that's what Paul is saying. You've got to hold it captive. You've got to demolish it. So in this battle, I wanted to give you that passage because I, t today I want us to be honest and transparent today. And we're, we're going to look at, we're identify four areas where our minds are in a battle. And I want to go to the next slide here. Now, I know there's more. We could deal with all kinds of different ideas. But I just want to touch in these like four main areas that we battle in our minds. 
And so that we can reject those, we can take them captive and we can demolish them. Does that sound like a good plan today? And so I want you to be transparent. As you look at these areas, I'm going to define them a little bit. But what I want you to do is I want you to be very honest because the church is a place where we just need a little honesty or a lot of honesty. Are these areas that you battle in regularly? It's okay to be vulnerable and honest. Because as the church, our anthems should be, we are the broken and you are the healer. If you're here today and you're newer or you're visiting, we don't have it all figured out. We need Jesus just as much as the next person. We do not have it all figured out. And if we pretended to have it all figured out, we're sorry. Because we don't. We are the broken. Jesus is the healer. So number one, negative thoughts or bitter thoughts. These are those conditioned responses. Again, as you, as you look at when things happen in your life, do you go to negative thoughts? I don't have what it takes. That always happens to me. I deal with this. I think I've, I've, I've confessed before, like when I've tried to do little projects around the house because I'm not very handy at all, but I think that I am. And sometimes I can do things, but I get into that and, and, and my wife has to challenge my thinking, thank God for a godly wife, but I just sit there and I just go, I knew this was going to happen. That, that project that I thought was going to be 30 minutes, I should have planned five hours because I have inherited the curse of my father. Because my dad was the same way. You know, he'd say, you know, well, I thought this was only going to take about an hour. And then three days later, you're still in the middle of it because now you're ripping things out. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what happened? I thought it was just a doorknob. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm serious. And, and you get that. And you, I knew this was going to happen. I should have planned on I, This always happens to me. Those negative thoughts, no matter how hard I try, I just can't get ahead. Have you ever thought that? Everyone else gets the breaks, but I don't. My life stinks. It's unfair. You're kind of a half-empty person. Or maybe there's no glass at all. It's not half-empty. It doesn't exist. There's nothing to pour anything in. I can't do it all. I'm overwhelmed. Nobody appreciates me. I have, to give, I have the gift of giving, and they have the gift of taking. <laughs> Maybe not all the time, but sometimes that's your conditioned response. How many would say that? Come on, let's be honest. It's okay. I'm there. My hand was up too. Number two, fearful thoughts. You know, in our world, there's a lot of opportunities to be fearful. You know, the, the economy... You know, when we think of jobs and, and, and those kind of things, terrorism, natural catastrophes, which all of these things are happening, you know, as believers, we hear what Jesus says. Jesus says, you know, in the end times, there's going to be these things, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. But Jesus says this, don't be afraid. Those things are supposed to happen. And there's a lot of opportunity for us to be afraid. Maybe it's not such world issues, but you're, you're, you're constantly fearful of maybe what your kids are going to do or not going to do. But fear is, 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 is something that rises up. You're a worst-case scenario person. Maybe you're fearful that I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. My kids are not going to turn out right. I can't trust people. I don't feel safe. And sometimes it's, it's, it's just irrational fear and worry that comes in. You get, just feel overwhelmed and fearful, and your conditioned response is fear. I've had this recently, and I'm, just, I'm being honest with you. I've never had this fear before, but over the last year, every once in a while, it's not constant, but every once in a while, I am just gripped with the fear of dying. And I know that some of you mature believers, you're going, yeah, I can't believe you would do that. Because you, if you die, you're going to heaven. I know that to be true, but I, I just, it, it grips me. And then I have to shake it off and I have to battle through that, but... And I, don't, and I do know where the source of it is, but I have to battle through that. It's just an irrational fear that comes in there. Maybe it's that you deal with just daily fear and anxiety. Maybe it's anxious of just being late or getting lost, being in crowds. 
You know, we, we kind of laugh and we talk about phobia sometimes, but sometimes that's a real deal for people. If you've dealt with fear or those irrational fears that come in, can I kind of see your hand? Just be honest. It's times. Thank you. I'm just going to put it all out there. If you're judging your neighbor, your, 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 your thought's coming up in a second. <laughs> Three is discontented thoughts. I think, I think discontentment is at the root of all sin. I really do. You know, you can go back to the garden where, you know, again, the enemy comes to, the, to Adam and Eve and, and the two great gifts that God gives humanity, and I'm developing some thoughts, maybe a sermon's going to come out of this, I'm not sure, but the two great gifts that God gives humanity is free will and management. And so in the garden, you know, God did not want to make, have a robotic response, but he wanted people's hearts, but the enemy is there's deceased, and basically he deals with their discontent. God's holding out on you. But I think every sin can be boiled down to this discontentment. But sometimes you have discontented thoughts. I don't like how I look. If you don't think that that's a problem in our society, watch TV for a little while. Because to be loved or to be accepted, you have to look a certain way, right? To do this, do that. And that's why, you know, the, uh, the health and beauty um, whole world is a billion-dollar industry. I wish I were taller, shorter, skinnier. Or maybe it's internal things. I wish I didn't feel a certain way. I'm not happy until I get this. Or my set of circumstances. I'm not going to be truly happy or content until my circumstances change. I wish my husband were different. I wish my wife were different. I wish I had a new husband. I wish I had a new wife. It's, it's in our society. I wish my kids were different. I wish my parents were different. I, I don't like my parents. Envying others for what they have. Always comparing, equating happiness and joy with stuff. If I could just have that, I would be happy. If I just had that, that house, that car, that boat, whatever. Or if I had someone else's life, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at in life. And I'm not talking about, in a, there's a healthy thing of setting goals and working. I'm not talking about that. But even I thought I would be at a different place in my life now. How many here would deal with that sometimes? Four is this, if you were looking at your neighbor, critical thoughts. So if you were judging somebody else for raising their hand, here's, 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 here's one for you. I don't want to leave anybody out. But critical thoughts, you know, the idea of high, holding that magnifying glass toward other people but giving yourself a lot of grace. Jesus dealt with this. He said, you know, when remove the log out of your own eye so that you can help your neighbor with the speck. But how many times we see it differently? I got this little speck in my eye, but you got this huge log in your own eye. I have a struggle. You have a stronghold. But being critical. Look at them. I'd never do that. I can't believe that they would ever do that, say that. Look at that person. Can you believe so-and-so? I think we need to pray for them. <laughs> Masking gossip in prayer requests is... Gossip. Maybe it's self-critical. And you pick yourself apart. A lot of people deal with that. Or your other's critical. You're picking them apart. You look at most things with critical eyes because that has become your conditioned response. Again, sometimes maybe, maybe it was just how you were raised. You were raised in a very critical home where you were criticized and you really couldn't do anything right because now that's how you see the world. Your job, your school, the church. I don't like what they're doing here. I don't like it. And you just find, you pick it apart. Bible calls it fault finding or the sin of pride. It's everyone else, but look at me. I've got it figured out, but you don't. If you would just get your stuff straightened out, then we would be at peace. And the Bible talks a lot about this. That's why the word of God says, as far as it's concerned with who? You be at peace with all men. Stop looking at other people. But you find something negative in the situation no matter what. My dad would always say these are people, if you gave them a $100 bill, they'd complain that it wasn't crispy enough. You know what I mean? The Bible calls it, you know, the Bible deals with backbiting, gossiping, 
How many find yourself sometimes conditioned to respond that way, being critical? Come on. I do. Some of us are going, all four, yes and amen. But we can't deal with them unless we identify them. And that's why it's okay to be honest and identify where we're at. That's why God wants honesty from us. But we must carefully guard our thoughts. You know, if you want to find something to be negative about, to be fearful about, to be discontented about or be critical, you can find it. You can. It doesn't, it's not that, not that hard. We have the opportunities for these condition responses every day. That's why Jesus said offenses will happen every day. You're going to have an opportunity to be offended, upset, fearful. It's going to be around us. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But we have a choice each and every day that begins in our minds. But on the opposite side, you can find the good, you can find the positive, you can find reasons to be contented if you will choose to do that. I've told this story a long time ago, but it's, 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 it's a funny little story about the little girl that was so optimistic. You know, the little girl, and she just was, everything was just, you know, Pollyanna and just reasons to be glad about everything. And, you know, her dad was a little bit worried. He said, man, I'm afraid that when that first disappointing thing comes into her life, she's just going to be devastated because she's so optimistic about everything. And so one day she comes home and he says, honey, I've got a gift for you. And she said, oh, you know, she's just so delighted, took her in the back. And he had this shed filled with manure. He said, and there it is. And she just starts going through the manure, just cheering, saying, yay. And he's like, he couldn't believe it. And he gets her out and she's messy. And he goes, honey, why are you so happy? And she said, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. Like, God, make me like that little girl. It's like the difference between a hummingbird and a vulture. What are hummingbirds drawn to? Sweetness. What are vultures drawn to? Death. They even, you know, they're, they're, even how they look. Hummingbirds are cute. Vultures are just gross. Are you a hummingbird or a vulture? We will get what we're looking for. You look for the bad, negative, something to complain about, you'll find it. If you're looking for the good and the positive, you'll find it. And God's at work. So how do we reject those thoughts? Let's get there. Let's go to the next one. How do we reject? I love this passage. I want you to look, and from a guy's standpoint, the men will love this passage. You'll have the violence of this passage. This is like a, a war passage. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. You test my what? Thoughts. David said, search my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. The transformation of the mind. You know me, Lord. You see my, and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like a sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. That's what we do with negative thoughts. That's how we annihilate them, as Paul said. We don't play around with them. We don't entertain them. We take them captive. You know my thoughts, and if there's anything inconsistent with you, God. That's why he says, Paul says, and paralleling the passage of 2 Corinthians 10, every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, anything inconsistent to God, drag them off to be butchered and set them apart for the day of slaughter. Don't let them live. Anything in my mind that is not of God, I want to identify. I want to stop it in its track, and I want to kill it. And so when those conditioned responses come, we have to go, wait a second, that is not of God. That is not what God says about me. That is not what God says of who I am. And so we, as we look at 2 Corinthians 10 and we look at this passage and then we, we know what to do, okay, we have to stop it in strike, we have to kill it, we have to take it captive. And so then how do we replace those thoughts with truth? How do we do that? Let's look at this. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, go ahead and hit the one. All right, Philippians 4. We're going to get into how to replace those thoughts with truth. 
Philippians 4, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. I've said this before. Isn't that an amazing little sentence right there? Just stop right there. And all of us would say, wow, do not be anxious about anything. But in which situation? How many situations? Every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Again, that's a mouthful. Every situation we pray, we bring it to God, we live in thanksgiving, and we present to God knowing that he is working. Because here's the the conditional thing. We have to get that straightened out to get verse 7. Then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when a thought comes, we have to pray. We need to seek God first. We need to give thanks to God. And then his peace will become and, and, and start replacing those negative thoughts. Finally, brothers and sisters, this is what he's talking about. And, and again, before you can understand eight, you have to understand six and seven about anxiety and coming to God. It comes in a relationship with God, letting the peace of God. But finally, brothers and sisters, this is, this is the conditioned response that God is trying to get us to. This is the transformation of the mind. This is what he's trying to make us. Whatever is true, Truth is a huge thing. Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is a little girl trying to find a pony in a lot of manure. And Paul says, think about these things. Think about them. See, this is truth. When we think on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, We're allowing the Holy Spirit to reprogram our minds. When we go to God and we are thanking him and we are bringing our petitions and our requests, he already knows what we have need of before we ask. God, you know, that's what David said, Lord, you know my anxious thoughts. David dealt with anxiety. You know my anxious thoughts. You know the fear I'm dealing with today. Lord, you know the negativity of the car breaking down once again. And I say that because we dealt with that the other day. God, you knew that was going to happen. But Lord, I come. I bring this request to you. Thank you that you're already mindful of it. And Lord, I give you thanks for what you are doing. And we allow the Holy Spirit to reprogram our minds. When, we are, when, when our minds go to those fleshly thoughts, we have to reboot this. We have to identify, reject, and reprogram. It's like learning a foreign language, which I really know very little about. But I took Spanish in high school, which, that's always funny that people say that. And they go, so do you speak Spanish? No, not much at all. But I did take it. For a while, and, and, and every once in a while, you know, I can, I can hear people and I can kind of get the gist of what they're talking about. But I've talked to people that have learned a foreign language, that speak one language and then they learn a foreign language. Because there's a process that happens. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because of this battleground of the mind. But if you're, let's, just, let's just take Spanish. And you're learning Spanish, you know, for a while you hear it in the foreign language. You hear Spanish. And then what happens is there's this process in your mind that you're trying to translate it into English. Because that is your chief language. Then in your mind, you're translating, you're processing it, and you're trying to switch it over to the foreign language so that you can give the response in the foreign language. And that's a battle when you're learning a foreign language. Because you hear it, you're translating it, you're processing it, and then you're trying to present it into that foreign language. It's hard and it takes work. But there's a time, and people, learn, people say this, that have learned to speak fluently in another language, that if you, you keep doing that, and all of a sudden a switch goes off. That the process isn't that difficult anymore. Then you hear it in the foreign language. You know the foreign language, so you don't have to translate it into English. And then you give the response in the, in the, in the foreign language. But they say it takes time before that switch kind of goes off, and we hear it and understand it. Without having to work so hard through the translation, it, come, it, it, it just comes. And they said, here are the two keys to learning a foreign language. And I love this as, as, as we deal with spiritual battle. Immersion and relationships. You immerse yourself into the language 
and it's also relationships with other people. That's why they said the, the best way to learn a foreign language is to move to that, a country that speaks that language. And then after a while, guess what? You will learn after you've thrown into the proverbial fire for a while that you meant to order this and you, you, know, you got you know, something else that you didn't mean to get. And immersion in relationships. See, we have to work at transforming our minds in Christ. This is not just some ideal that Paul is talking about, whatever things are true and lovely and noble, and, you know, and he gives this passage. He's not just saying that this is some sort of unachievable ideal. He's talking about you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to battle in your mind. When we have a condition, wrong thought about a situation ourselves, we have to say, wait just a second. That's inconsistent with what God says, what his word says about me. And it will be a battle at times. We'll have to drag those thoughts off to be butchered. But guess what? The more fluent you get in your relationship with God and immersed in his word, immersed in the spirit, immersed into Jesus Christ, it will become more and more natural. And our minds begin to reprogram the way that we're, uh, the change the way we're thinking. And then we get re a reprogrammed, rebooted mind that is godly. But it's going to be a battle. You're going to have to go to the word. That's why we have to immerse ourselves in the word. Immerse ourselves in relationships. Relationship, the word. Immersion and relationship. Coming to him, praying, seeking his face, getting in his word, being filled with his spirit. So when we begin to think God's thoughts and believing, believing who he says about us, then that switch goes off. Let's go to the next part of this. Paul says it so well in Romans 12 too. And here again, when we get the idea, and this is a famous passage to tie transformation to the mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... So transformation and the way you think are, 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 are tied inseparably. Then you will be able, listen to this, when you, when, you're, when you begin to immerse yourself and you begin to change the way you're thinking, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will isn't that powerful? You'll begin to understand what God wants for your life when we begin to be transformed. Go to the next one. This is powerful if you like another Greek word, if you're a Greek geek. If you, I don't know if you can see. This is kind of small print, but renew. The renewing of your mind is the word anakinosis. It's a renewal, a renovation to make better than new. Isn't that good? Because we have a conditioned way that we respond based on our past, based on maybe abuse, based on all kinds of manner of, 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 of circumstances that happen in our life. We have those conditioned responses to the way we think. Jesus wants to come in and renovate. You guys have seen those renovation shows, HGTV, come on, I watch it, I'm a guy, I don't care. It's kind of cool sometimes to watch what they do with renovation. Now let's say you're going to renovate your house or your kitchen. How much sense would it make if you had, and a contractor comes in, they go, okay, what do you want to do? And you were drawing up the floor plans, and you go, whatever you see here, do the same thing, exact replica. What, what would be the purpose in that? Because the question's going to be, why do you want to change it? Because a renovation makes it better than it was. That word anachinosis is a renovation. That Jesus loves it. He wants to come on the inside of us, come into our heart and our mind, and he wants to renovate the way we think. He wants to make it better than new. Because how anticlimactic would that be is if you have the big reveal and you go, and we did it exactly the same way it was. Great, it's an old yucky kitchen again. Yeah, but isn't it nice? No, I wanted something new. And so, in closing, we need to identify the battles in our minds. We need to reject the lies of the enemy. The lies that have been placed there, that preconditioned responses, and replace it with truth. You might say, I can't do this or that. God's, what does God's word say? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you start conditioning yourself to know when the enemy comes in or you're not good enough. Well, wait a second. The Bible says you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're right. I'm not good. But in Christ, I am God's child. 
I'm a has-been with nothing left to offer. The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are becoming new in him. My situation or circumstances are never going to change. The Bible says all things are possible with God. Don't let the lies of the enemy limit you. I don't think I can make a difference. Ephesians 2 says, you're his masterpiece chosen from the foundation of the earth to do the good works that he planned for you. The people in my family, my work, the world, it's such a dark place and they're walking in darkness and there's darkness all around. You're the light of the world, Jesus says. A city on a hill. You've got the light of Christ in you. I can't forgive so-and-so because the pain is so bad. Yes, you can't in yourself, but you can forgive with the power of Christ in you. The Bible says this, we have all that we need in Christ for life and godliness, no matter what is happening in our world. Keep doing it. Immerse yourself. Immerse yourself in the word. Immerse yourself in relationship with him. Identify him. Be honest with the Lord. Lord, I'm dealing with negative thoughts. I'm dealing with fearful thoughts. Lord, I'm being critical today. God, I need your help and I need your strength. And then get in the word and begin to pray passages over more than just getting it in your head. Get it in your heart. God, this is who you say I am. And then it begins to change the way you think. And it renews your mind. And we get a mind renovation in the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you stand with me? Jesus, we love you. Change our hearts and our minds, God. Lord, we confess before you that we're fearful at times, we're negative, we're critical, we're bitter. And Lord, we also confess that without you, we can do nothing. We desperately need you today. God, I pray for each person in this room, Lord, as even in their own hearts and their minds, they've identified today. Lord, as we all have, we're identifying those things, those wrong thoughts. And Lord, I pray today that we would learn how to reject them. They are not truth. We would reject the lies. We would take those thoughts captive. Every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, that we would take it captive, Lord, and it would not take us captive. And that, Lord, we would, we would be violent with those thoughts and we would cast them off to be butchered like a lamb to the slaughter. But, Lord, that we don't want to stop there. We want to replace it with truth. Lord, we don't want to just be cleansed. We want to be filled. And I pray for the infilling power of your Holy Spirit to help us to believe who we are in Christ. Pray that we would know the word of God, that we would meditate on it, Lord God, that it would transform the way we think and that, Lord, we would have a renovation of our mind and our hearts, that we, the people of God, we would shine forth the light of Jesus in our world. And Lord, with everything that's going on around us, Lord God, with the world in the, in the situation, the condition it is in, Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that we have you in us. We have the king of the ages in our hearts, the one who will rule and reign forever. God, help us to know that. Help us to believe it. Help us to live it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.